Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. So let's just turn real quick in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 30, is where we have been these past many weeks. And we're talking about the order of salvation. The order of salvation. Salvation is the big category, and we're talking about different aspects underneath the big category of salvation. You guys get to be front row Baptists today. So I, um, and so let's just read that together. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, for three weeks, we spent time on predestined. That happened in eternity past when God chose us for salvation. Last week, we talked about the calling of God. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And if you remember, there were two types of calls. There was the outward call or the universal call of the gospel, that goes to everybody. We share that indiscriminately. We share that universally. That outward gospel call goes out to everybody. But in addition to the outward call, there's the inward call. That inward call is effectual. It's effective. That only goes to the elect. Now, the question that I left us with last week is, what is the relationship between calling and regeneration? Is there a difference? Well, in theology, historically it's been called effectual calling, but regeneration is tied in intrinsically to the doctrine of calling. So let's ask the question, what is the difference between effectual calling and regeneration? Well, here's the order. So number one, the external call goes out universally and indiscriminately. So that's what happens. What I'm doing right now is I'm sharing the gospel. Um, I think almost all of you are saved, but let's say it's a Sunday morning. I'm sharing the gospel. The gospel call goes out to every single person. But then there's the internal and supernatural call that goes only to the elect. Now, in conjunction with the internal call, The Holy Spirit regenerates, and we'll talk about what that word means, regenerates spiritually dead sinners and brings them to new life in Christ. So here's the way I make a difference, okay? Regeneration focuses more on the resurrection power used to transform and renew our mind, will, and emotions. So so the call goes inwardly, And in conjunction with that call, the Holy Spirit brings us to life. Kind of like what we talked about last week with Lazarus. Remember when Jesus said Lazarus come forth and he was dead? The call brought forth the resurrection. In the call, there's regeneration. So, And then what God does in regeneration, when he regenerates you, he gives you the ability to repent and believe. You still have to repent. You still have to believe. And you could not do that before the effectual call or before regeneration because you were dead in sin. Okay, so if I were to have a child in here tonight, what I would do is I would call a child to come up front 
And I would blindfold that child. I'm like, what's Pastor Sean doing? Blindfolding children in church. I'd blindfold that child and we do an object lesson. I would tell that child to try to find his way to the exit door over there. And then I'd have two big guys standing in front of the exit door holding it closed so they couldn't get out. So a blindfolded child trying to enter the door or enter the hallway, he, he, he or she can't see and he or she can't enter because they're blindfolded. Now, let me ask you a very important question. What, what does blindfolding little kids have to do and barring them from getting in and out of doors have to do with anything? Let's ask a question that we've been asking all along. Are those who are dead in sin, spiritually enslaved to their trespasses, can a sinner in and of himself open blind eyes? Can a sinner change their hearts? Can a sinner do anything to change their nature in and of themselves? And the answer is no. Now, we talked about this a way back when we started. This is the doctrine of total depravity or total inability. It's the whole idea that we are radically corrupt in our mind, our heart, our will, emotions. Everything about us is corrupted when we're born. So we are born enslaved to sin. We are born um, and dead in sin, we're born hostile to God. Um, Romans 3.12 says this. I'm sorry I keep looking behind me. I want to make sure it goes because I can't tell. I, it's not in front of me. It's behind me. So, so as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. So that's, that's a comprehensive statement about the universality of sin. No one is good. No one does good. All have turned aside. Everyone is spiritually dead. And listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. We may need more chairs, guys. If you need more chairs, pull, pull, a, pull a chair up. You guys are ready? You got your muscles? You got your muscles going? All right. So Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Five descriptions in that passage of Scripture. We've talked about this a lot. Number one, before Christ we were spiritually dead. Number two, we followed the, the prince of the power of the air, the, Satan. We were in bondage to Satan. Number three, we followed the world. The world system. Number four, we were enslaved to our flesh, the passions of our flesh. And number five, we were by nature born children of wrath in our very nature, spiritually dead. So here's the reality. Every single person is born spiritually dead. Every single person is born a child of wrath. They are born unrighteous. They are born corrupted. They are born in bondage to sin. Every single person is born that way. So something has to happen in order to get you out of that condition. And so what we're going to look at tonight is you must be born again. You must be born again. Now we come to the most famous passage that teaches this. And it's in John chapter 3. But before we get there, okay, before we get to John chapter 3, let me ask you a question. Is it redundant to call somebody a born-again Christian? He's a born-again Christian. Is there such a thing as a Christian who's not born again? 
can you be a Christian and not be born again? So it's almost a redundancy saying a born again Christian is, well, yeah, if you're a Christian, you're born again because the spirit has done that to you. Now, we're going to go to John chapter three, very famous passage of scripture. Jesus meets Nicodemus at night, says you must be born again. But before we go there, I want us to go to Ezekiel. It'll be on the screen, but Ezekiel 36, God makes a promise of a future day of what God alone is going to do. And I want you to remember these images. Okay, so Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. This is God speaking. Notice how many times God says, I will do something. Okay, this is God speaking, not Ezekiel God. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your heart of flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. I will do this. I will do this. So two images. What's the first image that God says he's going to do? He's going to sprinkle us with what? Clean water. Now, this is not talking about baptism. This is talking about an internal cleansing that God does on our soul. An internal cleansing with water. Not literal water, but a metaphorical cleansing. And then number two, God's going to what? Take out our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, give us the Holy Spirit to live in us. So we'll be sprinkled with water and we'll be given the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I want you to think about those two things from Ezekiel. Now, what does the word regeneration mean? It comes from two words. Re, which means what? Again, generate or genesis to be born. So regeneration is just a fancy word for being born again or being born from above. God doing this work of the new birth in you. He's regenerating you. So let's turn to John chapter 3. And let's read this famous passage of Scripture, John 3, 1 through 8. This is the most famous passage of Scripture about being born again. John chapter 3. All right, here we go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, before we even start, let's just ask a question. When Jesus says you must be born again, is that a command? It's something that must happen. Here's the problem. Can you accomplish that? 
Nope. But it has to happen. But you can't do it. So from this passage, this famous passage in John, I want us to see three truths about regeneration or being born again that are taught directly in this passage of Scripture. So here's truth number one. Your spiritual blindness and slavery to sin prove your desperate need to be born again. Your spiritual... Whoops. I got ahead of myself. Your spiritual blindness and slavery to sin prove your desperate need to be born again. Now, we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. He is... The way the Greek text words it is he is the teacher in Israel. So many scholars believe he may have been the top teacher, like the most schooled in the Old Testament of any of the contemporaries of Jesus. Either way, he is a learned teacher. He knows his Old Testament. And what does he do? He comes to Jesus when? At night. Now, in the Gospel of John, there's a lot of imagery at night. Things happen at night. And it's not just an incidental detail. Like, okay, this happened at night. Well, practical reasons, Nicodemus probably came at night because he didn't want to come during the day because it may have affected his reputation and he wanted to come to Jesus without people knowing what was going on. So he comes to Jesus at night, but think about the spiritual implications. He comes to Jesus at night. Metaphorically speaking, he is in spiritual darkness. He's in spiritual blindness coming to Jesus. And he gives kind of some pleasantries to Jesus, doesn't he? What does he say? He comes to Jesus at night and says there in verse um, 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So Nicodemus says, there's something about you, Jesus. I'm going to call you Rabbi. We've seen you do these signs and wonders, and so obviously you are from God. You have this ability. I want you to notice very carefully. No one can do these signs that you do unless he's with God. In the Gospel of John, when you see that word can do, it's the Greek word for power. No one has the power to do these things except for you, Jesus. So the issue here is power and ability. Jesus, you have the ability to do these things. On the flip side, we're going to find out what people who are in spiritual blindness don't have the ability to do. So how does Jesus answer him? Does Jesus say, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying I'm a good guy and I'm doing all these great signs and wonders. What does he say? Truly, truly. Now, in the Gospel of John, when you see the word truly, truly, it's the Greek word amen, amen. And when Jesus says truly, truly, he's about ready to say something that's very important. Truly, truly, I think King James calls it verily, verily. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I'm about to say something very important. And so this is a solemn thing that Jesus is about to say. And so what does he say? What's the first thing he says there? Verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot, does not have the power, does not have the ability to what? To see the kingdom of God. Unless he's born again. Now, some translations say born from above. It can mean both. Born again, born from above. In essence, Jesus says that unless a person has experienced this transformation, this regeneration, this spiritual birth from above, he or she lacks the ability to even see the kingdom of God. Now, what's the kingdom of God? Salvation, your need for a savior, 
the need for salvation. So a person that's spiritually dead cannot even see their need for a Savior. Now, we looked at this a few weeks ago, maybe last week. Why can't we see? Why can't a spiritually dead person see the kingdom of God? Well, let me give you the answer. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as yours for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we are born spiritually blinded by Satan to, to, to not be able to see the glory of Christ. Jesus here. So Paul and Jesus are saying the same thing. What is Jesus saying? You cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Paul says the God of this age has blinded you from seeing the glory of Christ. What has to happen? You have to be born again. What does Paul say in this passage? God has to shine light into your heart like, like on the day of creation. So Nicodemus is somewhat baffled. What's Nicodemus thinking? This is kind of strange, Jesus. This whole being born again, it's kind of a weird imagery. What does he say there in verse 4? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What's Nicodemus thinking? Physical terms. Uh, I don't think a grown man can climb up into his mommy's tummy and come back out again. That's kind of weird, Jesus. What, what are you talking about here? So Jesus is patient and says, okay, I'm going to give it to you a second time. So what does he say there in verse 5? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, how does it change this time? What did he say before? Unless one is born again. What does he say there in verse 5? Unless one is born of what? Water and spirit, he cannot enter. He cannot enter. Before it was, he could not see. Now it's he cannot enter. Now, what does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Again, this is not talking about baptism. What passage of scripture did I just show you in the Old Testament? What did Ezekiel 36 say? I will sprinkle you with clean water and I will put my spirit in you. So Jesus is going directly back to that Ezekiel passage of scripture and telling Nicodemus, listen, God promised this in the Old Testament. There's going to come a day where God's going to take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. He's going to put his spirit in you. He's going to wash you with clean water. That's what I'm talking about here. It's being born again. And unless that happens, you can't see the kingdom of heaven and you can't enter. You can't even, you can't even see it and you can't even enter it. So when that word is can, you cannot, you cannot see, you cannot enter. It's the Greek word for power or ability. You do not have the ability to do this. Now, we've seen this before. What did John 6, we spent a lot of time in John 6. John 6, 44, what did he say? No one, same word, can come to me. Unless what? The Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So three times in the Gospel of John, you cannot see, you cannot enter, you cannot come. Unless something happens. Unless you're born again, unless you're born of water and spirit, unless the Father draws you. Why? Let's go to John again. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. 
You can't enter, you can't see, you can't come because you're a slave to sin. Unless this happens to you. Unless this born again experience happens to you. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's that same Greek word again, cannot. If you're in the flesh, if you're spiritually dead, you cannot see, you cannot enter, you cannot come, you cannot please God. Cannot, 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 cannot. It's called inability. You are morally and spiritually unable to come to faith in Christ because you are a slave to sin. Titus 3.3 says this. For we were ourselves once, okay, before our salvation. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So you and I, without being born again, are spiritually dead and unable to come to faith in Christ. Unless this being born again happens to you. And I got ahead of myself. Being born of water and being born of the Spirit is none other than undergoing this heart transformation where God takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. That's what we talked about in Ezekiel. Here's what regeneration is. It is a spiritual washing and a spiritual renewal and a spiritual transformation. It goes to the core of who you are. Now, why do I use the word regeneration? There's one major place in Paul where you see the word regeneration. It's in Titus. The passage we just looked at said we were slaves, we were disobedient to all these pleasures and passions. And then the next verse says, but... Titus 3, 4 through 5, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, hear that word again? By the washing of what? Regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So regeneration is a washing, it's a renewal, it's a transformation done by the Holy Spirit deep into our hearts. So Ezekiel is saying the same thing. Ezekiel says, God says, I will pour clean water on you. I will take out that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. Jesus says, unless you're born again or born from above. And then Paul says here, unless you've not had this washing of regeneration, you aren't saved. It's all the same thing. So let me give you just a definition here of regeneration. So we're, so we're moving a little bit from the scripture here to more into just like a theological definition of regeneration. Okay? So here's a definition. Regeneration is an instantaneous and supernatural change in our nature that affects the core of our being. The mind, the will, the emotions. Regeneration is a sovereign work of God that brings inner renewal and cleansing from sin. So let's talk about these different aspects of regeneration. First of all, regeneration, it is instantaneous. The Holy Spirit regenerates you in a moment, in an instant. It's not a gradual process, but it's being made alive. Now, sanctification, we'll get to that probably after the first of the year. Sanctification is the gradual process, but initially, regeneration is that once and for all quickening. Okay, so let me ask you a question. 
How many times were you born? Physically. Once. When your mama gave birth to you, you popped out. And you were born. Now, it might have been a long labor, but there's one birth. Spiritually, there may be a long labor before God brings you to salvation, but you're born again instantly. It's a one-time, instantaneous act of God. And number two, it's supernatural. It's done by the Holy Spirit. You, you, you in the flesh can't, can't cause yourself to be born again. It's, it's spiritual. Here's something also that we need to understand is that it happens under our subconscious. You may not be aware that the Spirit is doing that work. What do you experience? You hear the external call, right? And you experientially said yes to Jesus. Now, why you said yes to Jesus is because you were regenerated. So that regeneration happens when we don't maybe even know it's happening because God does it deep in our hearts. So it's instantaneous, it's supernatural, it goes below our subconscious, and it changes our nature. It gives us new spiritual life. Now, how does it change our nature? It doesn't totally make us perfect, but it makes us go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And at that instant, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and gives us new life. So there is a change, a radical change that happens from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And it is a sovereign work of God. You and I can't control regeneration. God effectually calls and regenerates those whom he predestined. And it renews us and cleanses us from sin. So it involves a radical. You guys know what the word radical means? Hey, dude, it's radical. You guys know, does anybody know what the word radical means? Besides, hey, dude, it's radical. It's a, does anybody know what the Latin word? Radical comes from a Latin word. It comes from the Latin word radix. Radix is the Latin word for root. So radical, when you say a radical change, it really means it goes to the very root. So it goes to the very root of who you are. It goes to your mind. It goes to your will. It goes to your emotions. It's this, this total um, internal cleansing that changes you from the inside out. It's, a, it's, a, it's an utter transformation. Augustine defined regeneration as this. He called it a secret, wonderful, and inexpressible power that changes our wills. Secret, wonderful, and inexpressible. Now, it is, if it's not blatantly obvious by now that you cannot see and you cannot enter, let's go back to the text and look at verse 6. What does Jesus say? <laughs> In case you didn't get it, Nicodemus, let me, let me reiterate it one more time. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So here's number two. Truth number two. You cannot possibly cause yourself to be born again. Why? Jesus just said it right there. Now let me ask you a question. Physical birth. He said flesh gives birth to flesh. Let me just ask you about your physical birth. Did you cause yourself to be born? Did you have any control over it? As a matter of fact, you had no control because your mom and your dad came together and produced you. And it was a miracle of birth. 
And even your physical birth was still a miracle that you didn't, you didn't even generate. But he says here, flesh gives birth to flesh, so moms give birth to children, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that's got to give you this life. The Holy Spirit's got to be the one that does this in you. Because you can't do it. If you're blind, you can't cause yourself to see. If you're dead, you can't make yourself alive. You can't replace your heart of stone with the heart of flesh. You can't do any of this. The Holy Spirit has to do it. You cannot. It has to be a work of the Spirit. Later on in John, John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is to no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The Spirit gives life. So, there's a famous book that came out in the 70s. I'm not going to tell you the author because I don't want to disparage that person because I think he's a wonderful man of God, but his theology was a little off on that certain book. The book is called How to Be Born Again. And it was a whole book on the steps you needed to do to be born again. So let me ask you, other steps that you need to do to be born again? (laughs) Is there anything you can do? Now, as a result, we'll look at this later. As a result of being born again, you believe, you trust, you repent, but you can't cause yourself to be born again. There's nothing, you must be born again. It must happen to you, but you can't do it. So Jesus is giving a command here that's impossible for anybody to fulfill. It must happen to you. You must be born again. You can't do it, so the Spirit has to do it for you. The Spirit has to do it in you. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, Don't marvel at this. Stop being surprised, Nicodemus. You're the teacher in Israel. You should know this. This is nothing new, Nicodemus. If you read your Old Testament, you would understand that there are bits and pieces, there are types and shadows, there's hints in the Old Testament that God throws out there that talk about this being born again. We just looked at Ezekiel 36 about heart of stone, heart of flesh, but Jeremiah 31, 33, that whole passage of scripture on the new covenant. Oh, I'm sorry, I got to Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Ask a question. Who made whom alive in that passage of scripture? Did you make yourself alive? Why couldn't you make yourself alive? You were spiritually dead. God had to make you alive. And then Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ask a question. How did the law come to Israel in the Old Testament? On stone tablets with Moses coming down from the mountain. How is God's law going to come to us when we get born again? He's going to come and put it in our hearts and give us the ability to actually follow God's word. So God is doing all of this. So you're spiritually dead. You can't cause yourself to be born again. And in case I'm being redundant, here's point number three. Only the Holy Spirit can sovereignly cause you to be born again. Now, Jesus gives a very interesting metaphor here in verse 8 about the Spirit. What does he say in verse 8? 
the wind. Now, just to let you know, guys, <clears throat> the word for wind in the Greek text is pneuma, which is the same word for spirit. It's kind of a play on words here. The word for spirit and wind is the same word. Same thing in the Old Testament. Chuach. Everybody say that, spit on your neighbor. That's the, that's the, Hebrew, that's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Chuach. For spirit or wind. Sounds like you're clearing your throat with some phlegm. Um, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Okay, let's think about the wind for a moment. What, what happens here in northeastern Colorado with the wind? <laughs> it, every winter, what do we expect? Wind. And then, do you know when it's going to come? Does anybody go out there and say, wind, stop, please? Like you're walking out there. Wind, I wish you would stop. Wind, please blow from the north as opposed to blowing from the west and coming off the mountains. Or, well, Wind, please. Can you control the wind? No. What is the wind? Who, well, God controls the wind. But the wind is sovereign, right? The wind is going to blow where it wants to blow. The wind's powerful. The wind has a mind of its own. The wind's going to do what the wind's going to do when it wants to do it. In comparison, Jesus says, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. When the Holy Spirit wants to regenerate someone, he's going to do it. You can't control it. You can't force it. You can't make him do it. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in causing you to be born again. You can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't dictate how the Holy Spirit operates. But you can see the effects of the Spirit. Okay, so... Do you know that there's wind, even though you can't see it? How do you know there's wind, even though you can't see it? The there's effects. You see trees blowing, your windshield starts moving or whatever. Your hair, your, your hair flies all over the place. Okay. Same thing. When you're born again, you're going to know it. Because what are you going to do? The effect of you being born again is you're going to cry out to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Back to natural birth for a moment. Did you cry out to your mom in order for you to be born. Did you, like inside your mother's room, you say, Mama, let me out! <laughs> what happened? You were born, and then what's the first thing you did after you were born? You cried. Did you cry to be born, or were you born and then cried? Did you cry out to Jesus to get born again? No. You were born again, and the first thing you did was you cried out to Jesus in salvation. Now, you experienced it all as like, subconsciously, and it, it, it appeared like you're the one that's doing it. But ultimately, the order is God did it first to you. Now, do you remember Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones? So I'm going to ask you to go to the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Ezekiel. When was the last time you had a Bible study on Ezekiel? That was my reading this morning, Pastor Sean. No, no. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Ezekiel is kind of a freaky book. Maybe one of these days I'll preach on Ezekiel, but there's a lot, a lot of interesting things in, in Ezekiel. This is the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay? So let's just walk through this because, again, this is an issue of wind and preaching. We're talking about, okay, let's just get our bearings straight. We're talking about the effectual call and regeneration. They're tied hand in hand. What's the effectual call? Well, the external call goes out to everybody. And then the internal call goes to the elect, and then the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit makes a person come alive. 
Okay, so let's, let's, let's read Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm giving you some time to get there because it's not a place you often go. All right, here we go. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. <laughs> and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Okay. So what's the image? Ezekiel, I'm taking you out to this big valley. There's these dry, like crispy, dry, dusty bones. Skeletons. And he asks the question. God says, Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Well, what's the obvious answer? I mean, Ezekiel's probably thinking, not, not in my world, God. These are skeletons, these are bones, but then what does he say to God? Well, only you know. God, you, you know. Okay, so there, there's a valley of dead, so these are skeletons, dead, dead, dry bones. Okay, what happens? Verse four. Then he said to me, that's the Lord, prophesy or preach over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now let's stop right there. If you were Ezekiel, what would you do at this point? You want me to do what? Like sometimes on Sunday morning, it feels like that. I'm out there preaching and there's a bunch of dry... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> a bunch of dry... No, I'm just joking. But I, I'm just joking. No, you guys are good. But there's been some funerals I've preached at where it felt like that for like one or two funerals over my years. But there's this whole idea of, Ezekiel, you've got to go out there and preach to bones. What, and, and, and what are you supposed to say to the bones? Hear the word of the Lord, bones. What are the bones going to do? They're dead. They can't hear. They're skeletons. But God says, go preach to them anyway. Preach to, preach to bones that can't hear. But then notice what God says he's going to do. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, or ruach, or spirit, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what's the only thing Ezekiel could control? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to preach to these dead bones. Hear the word of the Lord. And what did God do? God, Ezekiel did nothing but preach the external call. What did God do to the bones? He caused them to come alive. He brought breath into them. He, he breathed life into them and they came alive. That is a visual picture of what happens when you get saved. What is your condition before your salvation? You are spiritually dead, dry, and separated from God. And when a preacher or a podcast or a friend or somebody shares with you the gospel, 
you hear it, but you're not going to come to life spiritually until the Holy Spirit breathes like the wind and comes and gives you that life and causes you to be born again. So you are instrumental in that, in telling your friends and family about Jesus. But the one thing you can't do and the one thing they can't do is cause themselves to be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. The Holy Spirit does it as he wishes. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 29.4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or to hear. The Lord's not given you a heart to understand and eyes to see and hear. The Lord has to do that. The Lord chooses who he gives a heart to see. I mean, eyes to see and a heart to understand. Now, let's go back in John. We're kind of going backwards, aren't we? Like a few weeks ago, John 6, now John 3. Now we're going back to John 1. We should probably should start with John 1, John 3, John 6. But um, it'll be up here on the screen. Here's another passage where Jesus, it's introduced from the very beginning of the Gospel of John. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, same word there, three ways, not. Not of blood, number one, nor of the will of the flesh, number two, nor of the will of man, three. But how were you born? You were born of God. So he mentions three issues that do not cause or do not merit or do not produce this new birth. First of all, what does he say? Who were born not of blood. Literally, in the, in the Greek text, it's bloods. What John means there to his original audience is that your natural descent, your, your bloodline. Basically, John's saying to these Jewish people in his audience, you're not born again simply because you're an ethnic Jew. You're an Israelite. That, that does not cause you to be born again just by being born into a Jewish family. Some people think in America, you know, I'm automatically a Christian because I was born in America. Or my grandparents were Christian, my parents are Christians, I've gone to church my whole life, so therefore I must be a Christian. And it's like, no, you're not automatically born a Christian just because you grew up in America or just because you're, 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 you're an Israelite. That's not the, the issue. James 1.18 says this, of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brought us forth, or he caused us to be born again, some translations say, of his own will. God did it. Okay, secondly, John says, okay, if it's not natural descent, you're not born again by the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't produce effort in your flesh to somehow cause you yourself to be born again. You, you can't exercise your will. You can't make a decision. You, you can't do anything in you to somehow cause yourself to be born again. So number one, you're not born again by your ethnicity, Jewish lineage. You're not born again by something you do in your flesh. Then thirdly, you're not born again by the will of man. No other person can confer grace upon you by a sacrament or a prayer or a baptism. This is where kind of the Roman Catholic view comes into play, where a Roman Catholic priest would come in and say, as a baby being born, I'm conferring grace upon that baby, and when that baby's baptized, they receive regenerative, it's baptismal regeneration. 
they get regenerated by the baptism and it's conferred upon them by a priest. So Jesus says, listen, it's not natural descent. It's not your own power and somebody else can't give it to you. Who's the only one that can give you this being born again? It has to come from God. God has to do it. So when the Holy Spirit comes like the wind and blows in your life, in your heart, your mind, your will, under your subconscious, he makes you spiritually alive. He does this inner transformation. He, call, he takes out that heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. He gives you that internal cleansing and washing. Let's just look at a few other passages here in 1 Peter. 7, 18. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, get, from the dead. To what? An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because of God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again. Through the resurrection. Oftentimes when you see the resurrection talk about, it's Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead in the same way God raised you from the dead, spiritually. That same resurrection power that God used to spring Jesus from the tomb, he did in your heart to cause you to become alive. So you've been regenerated, you've been made alive. And then later on in Peter, down there in the second, little, later, later, later on, First Peter chapter 1, 23 through 25, since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grace and all its glory like the flower of grass. This grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. When the gospel was preached to you, through that word, God caused you to be born again. Not with a perishable seed, but an imperishable. So you are implanted in you this seed of new life that's living that creates that new life. It's not going to die in you when God implants it in you. Now, I said it happened below the subconscious. I said it's a supernatural work of God. I said it's powerful. It's part of the calling. God does this transformation. But what does regenerate? That's what it does in you. But what does it cause us to do? When God does this special work in our hearts through the effectual calling, through regeneration, he grants us the gifts of repentance and faith. So let me just make this very clear. You may disagree with this, but that's okay. Before you were saved, before you were regenerated, before you were born again, you could not. You could not and you did not want to. You lacked the power and you lacked the desire to repent and believe. You couldn't do it. But when God regenerated you, he gave the ability to you to do it freely, not against your will. So when you personally had faith in Jesus, you freely chose Jesus. You freely accepted Jesus. You freely chose Jesus. You freely came to Christ on your own decision. But why did you do that? Because God gave that ability to you as a gift in the regeneration. Now you say, well, Pastor Sean, where do you see that in the Bible? Okay, let me show you some key. Let me give you a key biblical. T this is what separates 
maybe our church from other churches. It's kind of a key, a key theological thing here. Regeneration precedes or comes before faith. Let me ask it a different way. Are you born again so that you can believe or do you believe and as a result get born again? A lot of churches believe the second. You freely choose to believe and upon your belief, God then, based upon you choosing, he regenerates you. I would say it's the opposite. God regenerates you because you couldn't regenerate yourself. And in that regeneration, he gives you the ability to come to faith as a gift. So what biblical texts show us that the Spirit does indeed give us the gifts of repentance and faith? That they have to be given to us. Well, Acts 5.31, God exalted him at God exalted him at his right hand as savior as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. What did God give? What did God give? Repentance. Now, I've heard some say God gave them the ability to repent if they chose to do so. Or God gave them the opportunity to repent. Does it say anywhere that God gave them the opportunity? What's the direct object of the verb? What's the verb? Give. When God gives something, what, is, what does that mean? Is that a gift? What's the direct object of the giving? Repentance. That repentance for them to even repent was a gift that God had to give them. Okay, Acts eleven eighteen. There we go. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, okay, earlier it was to Israel, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Did God grant them an ability to repent or an opportunity to repent? What did God grant them? Repentance that leads to life. So who granted what? God granted them the repentance. Now here's the most famous one, and I can spend some time on this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Probably the most famous passage of Scripture. Now, let me ask you a question. It is the gift of God. What is the it referring to? Okay, let me ask you a couple questions. Is it referring to grace? No, because grace by definition is a gift. It would kind of be what they call a tautology. It's basically saying the same thing. Is the it being saved? Well, we know salvation is by grace, so that's kind of the same thing. So you're left with the third choice. Is it, is it grace that it, the it is? Is it saved or is it faith? Here's my argument. It's all three. <laughs> but you have to include faith in that. Now, you may say, why is faith a gift? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, what does it say? You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says God made you alive even when you were dead. 
So even in the flow of thought, when it comes down to verse 8, even if you didn't really know what the it was, you'd have to logically, from the flow of Paul's thought, say that because you're spiritually dead, you can't exercise faith. So it has to be a gift. So the, the faith that you had to trust in Jesus was not even your own. It was a gift. Now, you personally exercised it. The Holy Spirit didn't believe for you. You believed. But the reason you believed and had faith is because God gave that to you as a gift. And when did he give that to you as a gift? Remember the whole birth thing? What's the first thing you did when you were born? What's the first thing you did when you were born again? Save me, Jesus. Or Jesus, come into my heart. Or I accept you. Whatever, whatever wording you used, the faith you had was because the birth came first. Okay, Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, I don't like this passage because it's not very fun. It's been granted for you. What's granted mean? Given. Given. And I've also heard people say God gave you an opportunity to believe. The same way God gave you an opportunity to suffer. No, God granted. He granted you the belief. In the same way he granted you suffering. Okay, so before we move on to kind of a conclusion, and we may get done, what time is it? Is it 7 30, 20, 35? No, 7.25. Okay. 7.27. 7.27. Any questions on just John 3, being born again, regeneration? We're going to get into some kind of practical application here just as we close tonight. Any, any, any other thoughts? Questions? Yes, Brent. You throw your hat in the ring of this one. I understand it. How would you see your friends that believe differently? What verses do they use to say, to justify what they believe? Okay, let me ask you to read. I throw my hat in what ring? <laughs> like, except, I guess be a little bit more specific as, as far as what. You saying that it's on, it's on God or that it's. Okay, that it, like so, you would say that the the, the the view, the other view that would say faith comes first and then regeneration proceeds. Right. What they would say is, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, it's in John. This is a big one they go to. So turn to the end of John. They often conflate regeneration with eternal life because when they see the word life. They automatically think it means regeneration. So if you go to John 20, verse 31. John 20, verse 30. We're getting John here. Okay, so let me just ask you a question. What have we seen so far in John? What does John 1 say? Got to be born from God, not from yourself. What does John 3 say? Got to be born again. What does John 6 say? No one can come to me unless the Father draws me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. John 10, the sheep hear my voice. John 17, I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for my sheep. Okay, so in the context of John, we get to the end here, and you can't just build a standalone theology from one, one verse. Okay, so let's look at verse 20. I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, what I've heard people say is, okay, there it is right there. You believe, and then you have life in his name. So you believe first, and then you're regenerated. But let me ask you a question. Is having life in his name 
The same thing as being born again. And let me just ask you another question. Who believes? Those that have been born again. This is a side, side note, but John is doing the same thing here that Ezekiel was doing. Yeah. John is saying, here's everything that Jesus is and was, and I'm prophesying over you. Yeah. And you will live <laughs> if, if God blows that life into you. So Brent, to answer your question, there are fine Christians and the, probably the majority of evangelicals outside of maybe our, you know, our kind of little, <coughs> whatever you want to call us, um, that believe that faith comes first. I'm, I'm working on a podcast. It'll, it'll come out. I'll probably record it Friday. But it's interesting. All right, so the 1680, this is a side note. I don't know if you guys want to hear this, but I'll just give you a little bit of history here. Okay, so the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession is the first major Baptist confession. It teaches regeneration comes before faith. The New Hampshire Confession of, 19, of 1833 teaches the same thing. But then in 1925, the very first Baptist faith and message, E.Y. Mullins was the professor of Southern Seminary. He did not like this type of teaching. So he changed the wording in that whole idea of regeneration. What he says is that regeneration is conditioned upon your faith and repentance. And then the 1963 went back to regeneration precedes faith and then the Baptist faith and message 2000 goes back. So all of our Baptist confessions going all the way back to 1689 to 2000 all have regeneration coming before faith except for the 1925 where the guy that was leading it didn't like the theology and changed the words. So there's always been a temptation to say, I don't like this doctrine because it takes man out of the driver's seat and puts God solely in charge. We can't have that. We want to protect libertarian free will. We want to protect creaturely autonomy. And so I've got to have a choice. And so if, if, if it's totally up to God to cause me to be born again, that means I have no choice. Now, how would you answer somebody that says you have no choice? Well, yes and no. You had a choice before you were saved. And that choice was always to say no. You were always going to say no. Unless God intervened. And so God changed your heart so you would say yes. And you said yes freely because God changed you to say yes. If God never changed you, you would never say yes. So here's the question I would say. Do you want to live in a situation where you always say no? Or do you want God to come and change your heart so you would say yes? Well, they might not believe that because they're going to say, well, I had the ability to say yes all along. So God didn't. God respond. I don't know if they use the word responded to my free will to give, cause me to be born again, but it almost sounds like that. The, the regeneration is conditioned upon my exercise of faith. And it ties back to total depravity because if you're totally depraved and totally unable, then you can't do these things. So it's a denial of that doctrine. So there's two doctrines that go together. It's a denial of total inability and a denial of regeneration precedes faith. Those two things go together. And if you deny both of those, and that's where you kind of come up with, I have libertarian free will to say yes, therefore I can resist God's grace, and then I choose, and then God regenerates me as a result. I don't know if I answered your question, but... Well, I know godly men and women that <clears throat> oh, yeah. really believe that and they'll you know, explain it away yeah. the, the other part. So I was curious what... what uh, yeah, what I mean... verses have really 
when you have done podcasts well, and everything else. I, I talked about this last week. I don't know if you guys were you here last week. Okay, so I said last week, one of the objections is ought implies can. Or let me say it a different way. Because Jesus commands something, that means we automatically have the ability to do it. You must be born again. Okay, I must have the ability to do it. You're commanded to repent and believe. I must have the ability to do it. Turn to me all the ends of the earth. You must have the ability to do it. Just because Jesus issues a command, there's an assumption that you have the ability to do it. Which the Bible says there is no ability unless God gives you that ability. The command's still there to do it. God doesn't lower the command, but he gives us the ability in that regeneration. Does, does that? Yeah. Okay. Any other questions before we? All right. So let's just talk about how do we respond? So how, what are some things that we can, what are some implications? Um, and this kind of goes back to a couple of things we talked about last week. So it's kind of a little bit of a repeat. But um, first, we must rely upon the Spirit's power in evangelism to bring a dead sinner to spiritual life. Let me just say it this way. Regardless of what view you hold to, let's say you believe faith comes first and you're regenerated, or you believe regeneration comes first and then faith. What's the one thing a person, what's the one thing that has to happen in both situations? Normally, the person has to hear the gospel in such a way that they can repent and believe. Who controls that? You and me. So we have to share the gospel, the outward call. But when we share the outward call, we have to rely upon the Spirit's power. I think sometimes we don't really realize how spiritually dead unsaved people are that we're dealing with. We think that maybe they just kind of have some problems here and there. But is there somebody you've shared the gospel with over and over again and they've just been resistant? They don't want any part of it? They're just kind of resistant to it? Now, don't lose hope because God can do that work. You keep praying. You prayers like plowing up that soil of their heart. Sharing the gospel is like plowing up that soil of the heart. And then eventually the Holy Spirit's going to blow and there's going to be a blooming of new life. But you can't produce it. But you can be faithful to pray for it and you can be faithful to share. Those are things you can control. You pray like crazy and you share faithfully. And you trust the Holy Spirit to do it. Even on the other end, can they control it? If a person has libertarian free will, they, you still can't control it. They, 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 it's still the choice is up to them. So either way, you're still dependent. You're either dependent on a person's free will or you're dependent on a sovereign God. And the question is, which one do you, want to, which one do you trust the most? All right. Second, we cannot control the work of the Spirit and we must pray and depend upon him to bring salvation and revival. Let's talk about revival for a little bit. In February, we're going to have three days of revival. We're going to plan it. We're going to put it on the calendar. And we're going to bring a speaker in and we're going to have a revival. Is that a biblical definition of revival? No. You can't plan a revival. A revival is a sovereign work of God whereby he uses the ordinary means of church life and brings about extraordinary results in a, in, a, in a sovereign way. But a lot of people think we can control and manipulate the Holy Spirit like we can the wind. If we just do this program, if we just do this method, if we just do this, then we'll get the results. 
We'll, we'll bring revival. We'll get all these salvations. We'll do all this stuff, and we can do it in our own power. And what does the Holy Spirit say? You can sure try, but I'm, I'm sovereign here. I'm going to blow like the wind. Now, it's kind of like water, water faucet. You can turn the knob and put your hands out, but do you actually cause the water to come out? Where's the water actually coming from? The source way back at the water treatment plant that comes through the pipes and comes down. But you can still turn the water faucet on and hold your hands out. That's kind of like praying for revival. We can pray and hold our hands, like we can pray to the Holy Spirit and hold our hands out, but ultimately we have to depend on him for that, that revival, that water, that, that, that movement. We can't control it. So we pray for revival. We should pray for revival. We should pray for salvations. We should pray for people to come to faith in Christ, but we can't control it. We can't manufacture it. We can't use gimmicks. Um, there was a one Southern Baptist evangelist that had, this was back in the early 2000s, he had a soul a month club. If you gave such an, a certain amount of money to his ministry, he can guarantee a soul a month. If you gave him extra, he, could, he can guarantee two souls a month. So... Um, like, so his evangelistic crusades, he's like, he told a church, he's like, if, you, if I come to you, you pay me this much money, I guarantee you I'll get, you know, like 30 decisions. If you pay me extra, I'll get 60 decisions. You're like, come to Emmanuel, and um, I'll tell everybody, don't go down to the altar call. He's not going to get his money. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm just joking. No, we probably would never have him in the first place. <laughs> All right, third, we must be patient and gentle with unbelievers and remember that God alone can save sinners by his choice alone sometimes it gets frustrating when you share the gospel and you don't see any fruit you can be impatient God you're not moving on my timetable or you can kind of get a little like mad not mad at the person but like well you just believe the gospel we need to be patient this is a passage of scripture you may have never really thought about before but 2nd Timothy 2 25 and 26 Paul's writing to Timothy as the young pastor he says you need to correct your opponents with gentleness God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will now what is the one thing Timothy can control as pastor you got to be gentle you can correct, you can teach, you can preach, you can be gentle. But God is the one that's going to grant repentance. And he may perhaps do it, he may perhaps not. It's up to God. But you be gentle, you preach the gospel, you share the gospel, you keep praying, you keep plowing, you keep watering, you keep patient. God's the one that's going to bring the increase. God's the one that's going to bring the growth. God's the one that's going to do that work in you. Now, let me give you some words from Charles Spurgeon. You're going to have to listen to this. It's too long to put on a screen. So this is from a sermon called Sovereign Grace and Man's Responsibility from 1858. Let me put my glasses on to read this. So this is from Charles Spurgeon. He says this. Again, I'm not going to do it in a British accent because nobody knows how Spurgeon spoke, but we wish we, wish we knew how he spoke. Again, the grace of God is sovereign. By that word, we mean that God has the absolute right to give that grace where he chooses and to withhold it when he pleases. He's not bound to give it to any man, much less to all men. And if he chooses to give it to one man and not to another, his answer is, is your eye evil because my eye is good? Can I not do as I will on my own? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. 
The only reason why any man ever begins to pray is because God has put previous grace in his heart, which leads him to pray. I remember when I was converted to God. I believed in my libertarian free will thoroughly. I thought I had begun the good work myself. And I used to sit down and think, well, I sought the Lord four years before I found him. And I think I began to compliment myself upon the fact that I had perseveringly entreated of him in the midst of much discouragement. But one day the thought struck to me, how was it you came to seek God? And in an instant, the answer came from my soul. Why? Because he led me to do it. He must first have shown me my need of him or else I should never have sought him. He must have shown me his preciousness or I never should have thought him worth seeking. And at once I saw the doctrines of grace as clearly as possible. God must begin. Nature can never rise above itself. You put water into a reservoir and it will rise as high as that, but no higher if left alone. Now, it is not in human nature to seek the Lord. Human nature is depraved and therefore there must be the extraordinary pressure of the Holy Spirit put upon the heart to lead us to first ask for mercy. The extraordinary pressure of the Holy Spirit on the human heart to lead us to ask for mercy. That's what I pray every Sunday. Before I get up to preach and I'm down there and we're singing that final song, I said, Holy Spirit, when I get up here to preach, please put pressure, (laughs) extraordinary pressure on those that are unsaved to have them cry out for mercy. I can only preach, I can only faithfully declare this text, but Holy Spirit, you're gonna have to do that work. I can't do it. So would you, Holy Spirit, cause people to be born again today that need salvation? I trust in you, I rely upon you. You have to do it, I can't. And all of us are in that situation, whether it's me standing up to preach or you're talking to your your best friend, to a family member, to a coworker, you've got to pray, Holy Spirit, would you do the work deep in that heart to bring that person to the point where they cry out for mercy because you've caused them to be born again. So, So any final thoughts or questions tonight? I think we have one more week. Yes, Brent. I was going to say, I think if there's a mirror of this in the Old Testament, just thinking about it, when it says, may perhaps, may come, is it the is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mm-hmm. when they say, you know, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Mm-hmm. They were tossed into the fire. And he said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They'll deliver us out of your hand. Yeah. But if not, yeah. we still won't bow. Right. Yeah. God may or may not save us, but we're not going to bow. And what's the implication? God is sovereign in how he's going to do that. Yeah. We can't force his hand. He's going to save us if it's his choice, or he's going to let us die if it's his choice, but it's his choice. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, questions? Re. Generation. It's a long syllabic theological word. We will, we're starting to get into the ION words, by the way. Predestination, and I call them the Sean words. Like if you're from Cajun, predestination, regeneration, conversion. 
Justification, sanctification, propitiation. We're going to get all those I-O-N words. So. so no other questions? You guys ready to pray then? All right, let's do it. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can get into your word. And, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you that you regenerated us. You blew like the wind in our hearts, caused us to be born again, gave us the gift of faith that we could cry out to you. Thank you that you did that inward transformation. Thank you that we're washed, we're cleansed, we're renewed, we're transformed. And Lord, we do pray for those that we know that are not yet saved, that you would do that work in them. Lord, all we can do is pray, all we can do is share, uh, we can love them, but Lord, ultimately it's gonna have to be you. And so Lord, we trust you, we rely upon you. And we do pray for those that don't know you, that you would do that work of grace, that deep work of grace, to open eyes, to open hearts, to cause them to be born again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>